The reading this morning is from the book of James, chapter 1, verses 1 to 12. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. This is the word of the Lord. Today we're starting a new series in James, the book of James. And this is an interesting book, uh, not least because it's one I find very difficult to find in the New Testament. It's somewhere after Hebrews and it's before Revelation. So if, uh, if you want to look it up, that's where it is. James is an interesting letter, uh, commonly understood to have been written by James, who's the brother of Jesus, who became a very important figure in the Jerusalem church, which was the first community of Jesus' followers after his death. And he's not writing to specific churches to give them specific teaching on specific issues, like like some of the the Pauline letters. Instead, he's writing a more general letter, uh, where he's trying to capture his sense of What does a life of faith look like in action and in reality? And he's very influenced by the teachings of Jesus. So lots of his his reflections can be traced back to things like the Sermon on the Mount. Um, But also, lots of people liken the book of James to the book of Proverbs. It's full of quite short, pithy statements about faith and wisdom. Um, So today we're going to start with the opening paragraphs of the letter that Sarah Jo just read, where James dives straight into this theme about trials, difficulties, which must have very much been at the heart of many early Christian communities. 
How do you relate your faith to times when you're stretched, to experiences in life which pull you and push you beyond what you think you can bear, when you feel beaten down, when you feel torn apart? This was what James was trying to explore. And I wanted to just share a couple of little stories with you before we start. Um, I'm connected with an organization called Sat7, which is a Middle Eastern TV ministry. And they have, um, they have satellite channels that beam down into Turkey, Iran, all over the Middle East. And they are Lebanese, they're, they're Middle Eastern people. The chief executive is a woman called Rita. She's a Lebanese woman. And they are Middle Easterners who make television for Middle Eastern Christians. And their heart is to make God's love shown, to make God's love visible. Um, and I've been, they, they publish a Middle East briefing regularly, and I've been following that in the last couple of weeks. Um, there's a story that they shared. Let me just read it. Over the last few days, there have been a number of powerful reports about the, how the church in the Holy Land is being salt and light in the midst of heartbreaking conflict. Gaza's oldest church, the Church of St. Porphyrus, has been opening its doors to provide shelter for Muslims and Christians. Our humanity calls us to offer peace and warmth to everyone in need, said Father Elias, the priest there. Meanwhile, the patriarch of Jerusalem offered himself to swap for the children being held hostage in Gaza. I'm ready for an exchange, he said, anything that can lead to freedom and to bring these children home. Earlier on this year, uh, with the, the Turkish earthquake, they were also sharing stories of what the Christians had been doing. Uh, Christian communities swung into action to set up shelters and food kitchens and that kind of thing for their communities that had lost everything, including themselves. Um, In one clip that they had, they were um, interviewing a Muslim man and he was weeping and he said, the only people who are here to help us are the Christians in our community. They're serving us Muslims. I can't believe it. I can't believe they're serving us. So these are just a couple of examples of Christians who I think are, have been and are facing incredible trials, <laughs> incredible tribulations, and they are making choices about what they do with their time. They're choosing to love others. They're choosing to serve others. We'll come back to these uh, in a minute, but I wanted to share those with you first. Given the events of the Middle East, this passage about trials and difficulties does feel particularly poignant to look at. And as I've been preparing, I've been wondering how I can stand here this morning and talk about this in a way that, that really does grapple with the realities of what's very difficult in life. And, and amongst us in this congregation, you know, the Middle East, the conflict there and the trials that people are living through, that's really extreme. But amongst us, we will have, every one of us will have things that we're holding that are difficult and um, difficult to deal with. I don't want to stand here and talk this morning about things that seem quite conceptual and idealistic and all very well for a Sunday morning, but not really helping with the kind of rough and tumble of, of real life. So it's my sincere hope that as we look at this passage this morning, we do find something that gives us practical kind of resourcefulness. Um, not just ideas that are interesting. So I offer this to you, I offer my thoughts to you in the willingness to try and take a closer look at this topic. But do forgive me if it doesn't really touch the deep need that you might have to understand where God is in suffering and horror. 
this sermon, I'm sure, is going to be paddling in the, in the kind of shallow waters of what I'm sure there is a lot more insight and depth of wisdom available to us. But I'm not equipped necessarily to offer that. So let's, let's just paddle in, in the shallows together and see where we go. What I'm planning to do is work systematically through this passage. So if you can find it in the Bible, it may be worth opening it um, and have it in front of you as we go through so that you can have a look at it. So let's start at the very beginning. Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters. The first word here, after James introduces himself, is the word consider. He starts with the encouragement that we can make a choice about how we orientate to our trials. Choose to see our trials as pure joy. Now, in my work, I work a lot with individuals and with groups and with teams around their relational dynamics the quality of their trust in one another, the quality of their relationships, and therefore the effectiveness of their work together. And when I think about the types of conversations I often end up in, often we end up circling around this question of the choices people have. And very often when things get difficult, we can feel as though we have very little choice. We can feel as though we have very little choice and we end up being quite reactive and responsive to the situation. We can believe and act as though we don't have very much choice or power. And in that way, what we do is we give our power away. We give it to the events or the circumstances or we give it to other people. We do actually have a significant measure of choice in how we respond to the events that we encounter or to the behaviour of others. I could choose to forgive I could choose to turn the other cheek. I could choose to be angry. I could choose to allow myself to really feel sad. These are all valid choices. I I have had some less than impressive moments where I've tried to share this insight with other people. Once I remember we were in the car and Adrian was driving and we were on our way somewhere and we were quite late. I think we were going to a wedding, so the stakes were quite high about being late. And we were coming into the car park and a car kind of cut us up and almost hit us. And Adrian responded with this kind of outburst of angry expletives. And I chose that moment to say, Adrian, you do have a choice about whether you're angry or not. (laughs) Um, You can imagine that didn't go so well. So, um, but I think the point still stands. We do have a measure of choice about how we relate to these things. So James, his opening statement is putting the real emphasis on choice. He's suggesting that when we experience trial and hardship, we can choose the way that we we frame this in our mind. We can choose the narrative and the story that we hold on to. And his suggestion is we choose to see it as a golden opportunity for strengthening our faith. So we're encouraged to, to consider our trials as pure joy. Let's think about that now. Perhaps you've reflected in your life before about the difference between happiness and joy. And um, he's not urging us to put on a happy, smiling face in the, in the context and in the experiences of difficulties. James is saying something much richer about joy. And as I was thinking about this, I was imagining, you know those colour charts you get when you want to paint a wall? I think I've got an image on the screen of one of those, if Nick can get up. You know those colour charts where you have all the different shades of the same colour? Um, so if we imagine that happiness... Happiness and joy. Maybe happiness is the pale pink shade and joy is that really deep, deep, deep 
kind of the, the darkest end of the spectrum. Joy is the deepest, richest version of the colour. What is joy? I was amazed this week. I was having a conversation with a friend and a colleague, and out of nowhere he said to me, I'm reading a book at the moment, and it's talking about the difference between happiness and joy. Um, and I was, I was amazed. And what he said was this. He said his book was suggesting, it wasn't a Christian book, he's not a Christian, His book was suggesting that happiness arises as a result of circumstance. Happiness is a wonderful thing. Happiness is lovely bright pink. Um, Joy arises from somewhere deeper in our soul, somewhere more rooted in our sense of identity and our sense of purpose. Joy can't be erased by the difficult circumstances in life because it has a deeper connection to our sense of being. Well, I was really amazed to hear this from my friend and his secular book. And I agree. I agree with it. The only thing I think is missing from that book is that joy arises from a sense of connection between our soul, our heart, and our God. The wellspring of joy is not just the connection with personal purpose. It's the connection with the essence of life and purpose himself, with God. So somehow, in the midst of our trials and our difficulties, we can choose to focus on this connection we have with God, and we can draw on that from our resources. This is thinking about our trials as pure joy. This is where we're accessing the resource to do that. Let's look on. The reason James calls it, considers it pure joy is that our trials test our faith. I'm not of the view that um, trials are brought about by God in order to test us. I don't think God sets out to proactively put trials in our path to test whether we believe in him and to test our faith. So I'm reluctant to understand this bit of the passage as saying this is deliberate testing by God. And I don't think this is about testing whether we have faith, capital F, do I believe in God, do I believe in Jesus? It seems to me this testing is more about a kind of road testing how our faith works in reality and in action, putting it through its paces, if you like, like a car is tested for roadworthiness before it's considered safe. This is the road testing of our faith in action. I, can be- I may believe in Jesus, and, and still when I'm under pressure, I might have a range of responses that don't necessarily reflect that. So perhaps this isn't the big test, capital T, do you believe in God? Perhaps this is the small test, little t, the hourly, the daily tests, the road testing of our faith in action. And so this road testing of our faith produces perseverance. In the RSV translation of the Bible, the word actually is translated as steadfastness. The road testing of our faith produces steadfastness. And I love this, because I think this word gives us a much more graphic image of um, what the point might be here. It led me to thinking about the types of responses that we might have in, in response to these trials and difficulties. So one response might be the stoic response. I must hang in there. I must endure. God is testing me, so I just have to hang in there. Keep my upper lip stiff. Just keep going. Another response might be more of a self-pity response. Why is my life so tough? Why does my lot seem to be tougher than the lot of others around me? Why is God not protecting me as he promises to? Why is he not providing for me in the way that I hoped he would? 
Or there might be more of the superwoman, superman response. I'm, gonna, I'm not just going to get through this, I'm going to overcome it. I'm going to come out better and stronger, and God will be proud of me for, for overcoming. He'll be proud of how I overcame. Stoic, self-pity, superman, superwoman. Maybe the fourth response is the steadfast response. Firmly planted, deeply rooted, drawing on something that's bigger and, and, and broader than us to stay resourceful. Able to remain standing and secure even though the, the storm is raging, like a tree buffeted by the wind. It brought to mind this picture we have on the wall in our house at home. I think I've also got it on the screen if you can see it there. Um, so it brought to mind this picture which I felt really seemed to capture this idea of being steadfast, deep, deep roots, secure, um, and able to stand firm even though the storms might be raging. So we're being encouraged to think that trials help strengthen our ability to be steadfast, not to be stoical or have self-pity or not to try and be superhuman, but to be steadfast and solid, rooted in him. Then the next, the passage moves on. And this perseverance, this steadfastness, will complete its work in us so that we are perfect and mature and complete. I don't think this is about aiming to become perfect. Perfect is unattainable, and I think it's rather a depressing standard to hold for ourselves in times of difficulty. It's, uh, uh, you know, it's quite a depressing standard for us to hold anyway in life. So this isn't about becoming perfect. I prefer the emphasis that these words, perfect and complete, are maybe trying to give us a sense that we're whole. When steadfastness finishes its work in us, we become whole. Um, we become fully rooted and resourced by him, and therefore we're not a diminished, smaller version of ourselves. We're still able to be whole. And it brought to mind that phrase, you know, life and life in all of its fullness. Perhaps steadfastness is able to help us live a whole life and be the whole person we were designed to be. Back to the picture with those deep, deep roots. At this point in verse 5, the passage slightly shifts gear and we move from this statement about how we are to consider our trials and tribulations um, and James starts to make a more specific recommendation. He says, if you lack wisdom, seek wisdom. So the steadfast response could be to ask for some help in these times of trial and the help is in the form of asking for wisdom. Notice that seeking help here isn't asking for the circumstance to be taken away, isn't asking for things to change. What it's asking for is an internally resourceful way of handling it, an internally resourceful way of making sense of it, a way to be able to think and understand the situation. Wisdom is a God-given, God-centered discernment about how to handle these practical issues in our life. It's about inner resourcefulness. And then he moves on uh, to talk about um, not having doubt and being blown by, you know, being blown around by your doubt. And again, I'm struck by the contrast between the steadfastness, the idea of being firmly rooted, deeply planted, and having doubt and being blown about and being swayed by what's going on around. 
Then James moves to this little bit in the passage where he talks about your economic circumstances, poor or rich, and and things fading away and passing. In some ways, this seems like a little detour, maybe a slight swerve in his flow. Um, And I wonder why it's here. Well, it struck me that what he's trying to do, I think, is to lay heavy emphasis on the fact that our life experiences, our trials, they're temporal in the same way as our economic situation is temporal. Things will fade and pass away. Um, And and that's in contrast to the the spiritual permanence of a God-centered, wisdom-inspired perspective in life. So James is setting up this contrast between things that will pass away and the things that will stay deeply rooted. And this really comes into the picture when you look at verse 12. I think the section on riches lands in verse 12. Because what he says is, what he's putting together is the contrast of the whatever economic situation you find yourself in, the fact that that will pass, in contrast to the reward of steadfast perseverance, which is the crown of life, this enduring permanent crown of life. It doesn't fade away, it doesn't pass. Let's look really carefully at verse 12. This is not about persevering in order to receive a crown. This is about persevering to receive a crown of life. And I have to say, when I think back over how I might have kind of heard this passage or heard this teaching in the past, there's that sense of persevere and your reward will be in heaven. I think this is a bit different, actually. I think this is much more hopeful for us in the midst of trials now. It's about receiving life right here, right now, in the face of whatever challenge that you encounter, however unimaginably difficult it is, however desperately sad, however life-changing it is. Steadfastness leads us to life. And that's life now. And that's a quality of life that perhaps the stoic, the self-pity, the superhuman wouldn't actually have access to. Perhaps it's a quality of life that the steadfast have access to, rooted in a way of making sense of difficulties that comes from wisdom, from, comes from God and not from the way we make sense of things in the world. I was talking about this passage with Jeremy earlier on this week and we were noticing the very last few words The crown of life is available for those who love him. And we were thinking about this. Loving God, loving God can be a very practical thing, can't it? How do I love God? I love God in my actions. And often that is in loving others. And in choosing to love others as I love him and as I love myself. Perhaps this is a really practical thing that we can grasp onto in times of crisis. If the rest seems rather theological and intellectual, perhaps the rubber hits the road here. If we love him, and through loving him we love others, perhaps this helps us to be steadfast in times of difficulty. And surely in choosing to love others in times of difficulty is where we have fullness of life, and we become more whole. And so we go around in a massive circle and we arrive back at, why would we consider this pure joy? We would consider our trials pure joy because if we choose to love him, if we choose to love others, 
we can live a life of wholeness. We can ask for wisdom to help us make sense of this in our mind and it can help us be whole. This is about accessing life, the crown of life today in all of its fullness. So this is where I'll end. And this is why I read the stories at the beginning from the Christians in the Middle East. In the face of unimaginable trials and difficulties, what they seem to have done for me is to choose to show their love for God by loving other people, by taking action, real action in the, in the tribulation. So we have a choice of our narrative and our perspective around the dark times in life. Testing, road testing the, worthiness, the road worthiness of our faith can help us become far more mature, far more whole, and live life to the full. And to help us get there, we can ask for wisdom. And to help us get there, we can also choose to to practically love God with actions of love towards one another. And this leads to life in all its fullness. Perhaps this leads to the dark, pink, vibrant colour of joy that won't pass away. Amen.